This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network. Analyze their attack zone. There is a danger. Should I have your ship standing by? Evacuate? In our moment of triumph? I think you overestimate their chances. We now have a call from NBC News that Donald Trump is the apparent winner in Pennsylvania and the apparent winner in Wisconsin. That has pushed him over the top. Uh, That is why Hillary Clinton conceded. That's why Donald Trump uh, gave the remarks that he did. We'll never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. We must be cautious. Hello, and welcome to Beltway Banthas, a Star Wars podcast live from the hive of scum and villainy, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Stephen Kent. I'm Swara Saleh. And today, we break down the results of the election 2016, using all of the Star Wars references that helped us get to this end and beyond. Uh, We will be joined here uh, shortly by Bobby Roberts, a well-known Star Wars fan commentator and writer at the Portland Mercury. So that's going to be fun. But first, Swara, how's it hanging? Well, Stephen, I feel like Kate McKinnon on SNL last night, where she dressed up as Hillary Clinton and played on the piano a particularly somber version of Leonard Cohen's classic Hallelujah. So you must be feeling pretty um, questionable right now. I feel that we have been through a very trying time, an especially trying election season, and we have so many divisions in our country right now. I hope that we can get to a better place than we are now. Did you like her that that opening that cold open? Like I I thought it was a little tacky. I can understand that. Yeah. I thought it was beautiful, poignant. I thought she spoke to the concerns of so many Americans right now, and I think she did her own um, character of Hillary Clinton a great service by doing that. It was a nice send off for so her character as well. Yeah, exactly. it was. It was. A hopeful moment. I mean, right now, I think a lot of people are kind of moving, hopefully past a little bit of the anger to the sadness and to the hope. Um, I thought that was a good note for SNL to hit uh, if they were going to go there. Um, But just speaking to the listeners here a little bit, just so y'all know, uh, our regular host and guide, uh, Tierso, We'll be away from the show for a while. Uh, he had some serious life stuff uh, come up and, and is kind of going on, and we all have that happen from time to time. And so he has departed uh, to go tend to those things, and we are hopeful, hopeful, hopeful that Tierso will be rejoining us soon. Um, but in the meantime, I will be piloting the ship uh, with our new full-time co-host, Suara. Um, Suara has been really great to have around us, and uh, we are excited to have him as part of the show full-time. Suara. It is now time for you to be a full-time Beltway Banthas host. Exactly. and <laughs> I've been waiting forever to do that. <laughs> that reminded me so much of Leslie Note, by the way, from Parks and Recreation. <laughs> um, I'm, dude, I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to be on full board. I initially listened to... I actually heard about the show first. I just want to give a shout-out to... Coffee with Kenobi's Dan Z. He once mentioned it on his show. And I just thought, oh my God, it's my two biggest passions, Star Wars and politics, merge into my favorite format, a podcast. 
Then I reached out to you. I did a piece on Brexit for the website and an episode. And it's just been high sailing from there. I it's feel. been it's just been so much fun to get to know you. And when Suaro started um, contributing to the show, he was in the UK uh, working at Newsweek, and now we have him here in the DC area. He's studying something else and going back to school and just uh, actually like becoming one of our friends. And that's just so cool that like fandom has actually sort of achieved that um, for us. We've made new friends along the way, and that is great. Um, but Suara is going to be helping us kind of sift through finding more guests for the show and helping to fill the air with his, uh, his heart and his insights. So oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you, Suara. So in the final days of the election, uh, well, actually really the final days and hours of the election, I noticed a huge uptick in Star Wars content um, around uh, the election conversation on social media. There was a pretty good wave of tie-ins, memes, videos, um, and a lot of that with the expressed intent of adding some levity um, coming up on election night and also with the election results. So I kind of want to talk about some of that. Uh, Force ghosting in from Portland, Oregon today is Bobby Roberts. Bobby, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you guys for uh, for having me. I've been uh, anticipating being on your show for quite a while, uh, and now there's there's not at all any extra pressure in knowing that I'm the first guest uh, post one of the most historic elections in American history. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm, re- I'm ready to go. I I guess as he said, going for his coffee and sipping dramatically. Uh, we're we are all trying to get our get our handle on things today, but uh, thank you so much for taking the time. We've been dying to have you on as well as just somebody who's really actively engaged in the politics of Star Wars conversation on social media. There's definitely like a little corner of fandom that is 100% comfortable uh, with that topic and that uh, that conversation being had. So we always just really enjoy like getting tips on good ideas from you um, and also just uh, really really what is it, hot takes (laughs) on things going on. But uh, I'm calling this our first inaugural uh, Dank Memes segment featuring Bobby Roberts. And what we're going to do is kind of go over a couple of the... I guess the most pervasive things that I saw on social media leading up to the election. And the first one of them was a meme that uh, Bobby Roberts brought to my attention on Twitter. And I also saw pop up on Facebook a couple of different times. This was a image um, basically linking Count Dooku in his likeness to Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton in likeness to uh, Palpatine, uh, give or take emperor or senator. Uh, I guess it doesn't really matter. Um, this may be a little bit of sour grapes since the election is now over and it's a little bit less funny, but I still want to go into it just because I thought we had a pretty good conversation about it online that I'd like to share with everybody. So Bobby, you had a take on this and it wasn't particularly a good one. Care to share with us your thoughts on this comparison? Uh, I thought it was a terrible comparison, as a lot of uh, internet memes tend to be as any sort of cogent analysis. I mean, you can only analyze so much when you're dealing with a badly compressed JPEG and impact font uh, to sort of spread your message. Memes have more or less replaced the bumper sticker as a form of uh, very simple, very pithy uh, political expression. Uh, so seeing uh, <laughs> seeing those two real-life uh, political uh, uh, competitors being compared to uh, Palpatine and and Dooku just seemed so ridiculously off and just a bad reading of not only uh, those two in in modern politics, but also uh, the two characters in Star Wars as they relate to Star Wars. Basically, like, 15 different question marks ringed my head like a crown. Like, how do you even make the connect? And the only thing I could land on is that it seems... 
if you look at it for three seconds before you scroll past to sort of make enough of a sense that the part of your brain that lights up when you realize a joke is being told lights up. And that's really all you need. It's sort of like it, it's, it's family guy-ish in that, in that sense, in that a joke will get thrown at you. You recognize it's a joke. And before you can really decide whether or not it's actually funny, you've already gone and moved on to the next joke. So I kind of I kind of want to hop in here and, and stick up a little bit for it. All right. Now, I'm I'm mostly on board with you here. I think it's it's a hot take from people on the Internet who just need to make a comparison and they don't really have very good material to draw from. There's not a lot of politicians um, that we have to draw from in Star Wars when we have such a wide range of politicians in our world. So there's very few choices. I think the one thing that it draws on is the general cultural um, disdain and distrust for Hillary Clinton, given her long history in service and her long history in politics. That is there and it's baked in. Count Dooku, there's this thing there where you don't really know what to think of him. And I think that's how a lot of people, and I think maybe people who were leaning Trump all along but just wouldn't say it, kind of wanted to liken him to as well. Now, in the way that we view Trump and Clinton, putting aside how we should collectively view them, Hillary Clinton is completely and utterly demonized as being the embodiment of the system, like the DC rod, the insider play and all that. I mean, ask Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren before 2016. They would have told you that, and they would have sounded a whole lot like Trey Gowdy, Reince Priebus, or even Marco Rubio. Like, the general sentiment was the general sentiment was the same. Hillary Clinton is like this long haul politician who she's been working a very long career. And if you are someone who is not in her camp, you think it's a more of a long con kind of thing. And so like you can you can connect that dot. And what I think about Count Dooku and I, I this is galactic politics here is he is in a lot of ways. Uh, the quote-unquote outsider in politics in, in, in Star Wars. And so maybe that is how you can get to that conclusion there. If I may jump in, look at Count Dooku coming from Sereno as a count, mm-hmm. um, even though he, like all the rest of the Jedi, was brought up in, for, with them when he was a baby. He was still a count. He was still part of maybe the galactic establishment. And as he was propagating his ideals throughout the galaxy, Pablo, I believe, said in propaganda that Pablo Hidalgo said that he was an orator. He was an intellectual spokesman at various campus university and universities throughout the galaxy. Mm-hmm. I do not see in any way how you can compare that to what Trump has done, except in the sense that they both have you know, done all these talks, these rallies, but to two very different sorts of audiences. I think with yeah. the, with the outsider label and I'll, I'll kick this over to Bobby in just a sec. I think with the outsider label, I think it, first we have to acknowledge that in politics, the outsider label is always completely phony. We're not dealing with reality when governor Scott Walker says that he's a political outsider just because he's a governor from a Midwestern state. There is this proximity to DC thing that gives you the outsider status that people will run on in politics. Again, Bernie Sanders, outsider yeah. politician, but he's been in DC for a long, long time. Yes. So we have to, we have to kind of bend ourselves backwards to understand what outsider means and he is from an outer outer rim world and in the clone wars those are kind of viewed as the the outsider people um bobby yeah 
for me, I think it's a matter of at, at some point, any one of these uh, political comparisons are going to butt up against just sort of the fundamental weaknesses in the writing uh, of some of these stories because you just typically you just can't go back far enough to get a serious idea uh, of uh, of what these characters were really like as they came up in their own uh, political worlds. Uh, so you sort of have to infer, and the better written a story is, the more you can actually infer. The more broken a story is, the more you're just sort of stuck with what you're given. The problems with the comparison between Dooku and Trump, to me, uh, are, are a matter of perspective. Like, if you just want to look at it on, on the base outsider thing, the way you were just speaking, uh, I absolutely agree. You have to look at the term outsider not only as being sort of twisted and corrupted in, in the sort of uh, Orwellian <laughs> sense, but also, like, maybe puddle deep, if that. Because once you start to poke more than six inches beneath that outsider, you start to learn what Stephen just said, that people are uh, completely twisting and manipulating the, the yeah. mere definition of the word. It's sort of how you have a whole bunch of people uh, that are backing uh, a presidential candidate, or a president, honestly. He's going to be elected president, uh, who has never not been uh, in various uh, cases in his life, either a millionaire or a billionaire. He's literally got a gold-plated bathroom, living room, uh, drawing room. Uh, so you have a whole bunch of people who are using the term elite as a negative when they have been – like the people they are calling elites are people who are like you know middle-class journalists – So, I mean, like the entire media structure is being sort of assailed and assaulted by people who have been, you know, millionaires and billionaires for 40 to 50 years of their life. Uh, And those millionaires and billionaires are sort of suggesting that the real elites here are people who have to get like takeout pizza while they're up for three in the morning trying to write a piece that's only going to get read by 50,000 people because nobody really wants to read. They just want a meme to scroll past their Facebook. You know what I'm saying? So that's the sort of level – of redefinition that we're working with when it comes to these sorts of comparisons. But with Dooku, like, like Swallow was saying, uh, you got to remember that he comes from a religious background. Trump didn't, so that's a strikeout. Uh, Dooku decided to actually serve uh, in, in, in an order uh, for the people. Uh, Trump has never done that. I think the closest Trump got was a, a military school, uh, in, and even then he behaved badly. Um, <laughs> he's not a good orator. At all, Trump isn't. Dooku might have been. And the key thing that we have to remember when it comes to a comparison between Dooku and Trump is that not only did Dooku get uh, disillusioned and leave, but then he was allowed to be manipulated by a singular force of evil whose entire point of existing was to amass power and create an empire at which he could sit at the top. Now, if you want to make that Trump versus Dooku comparison, you have to take that into account. You have to wonder who it is that would be manipulating Count Dooku in order to get what he wants and how is Trump being possibly manipulated like the reason the Dooku Palpatine comparison really falls is because those two ended up working together now you would have to then if you're posting this this uh, bumper sticker on your Facebook uh, make the argument because this is how it logically follows that Hillary Clinton stands to benefit the most from Trump's actually being elected president You know, that actually reminds me of on the right, there was a lot of conversation more in kind of like the red state, uh, red state or like Glenn Beck kind of circles that Trump was like this uh, Manchurian candidate sent by the Hillary Clinton campaign on the left. And that actually that actually makes me think, no, maybe the meme does work in a different way if you come from that point of view, because he is actually like the puppet of the person who's trying to run this longer game.
I do wonder if some people were sharing it from that viewpoint because I, I will <laughs> absolutely admit, and I know Suara will back me up on this. Yeah, uh, the right might have uh, jumped on that uh, in their worry as he was campaigning back when everyone thought he couldn't possibly right. win. But but as it looked like he might be gaining ground, suddenly the left clung to that like an outlandish hope. Like currently, right. there are people on the left who are hoping right. the electoral now- college will get dismantled. Um, there there are people on the left hoping that there will be some sort of uh, magic trick pulled out of someone's back pocket that will save us uh, from the from the fact that the guy that actually is going to take the presidency is losing the Change. presidency and the popular vote by <laughs> millions, right? right. But, right. Uh, but one of the first things that they grasped onto in their uh, really implausible hope was the idea that this was all some sort of Venturian candidate uh, backroom deal between Clinton uh, and, uh-huh. and Trump. It's like, okay, you run like the idiot you are. And then once they install you, I'll have the real power without any. And it, uh, it's obviously not going to no. work that way. It's not. Yeah. It's not going to work. That's one of the yeah. reasons we like to enjoy and watch Star Wars because exactly. you can see those sorts of fantastical possibilities play yeah. out, uh, and and get an idea of what that might be like here in the real world. But that doesn't. It's not going to actually right. apply one to one. That is absolutely not what's going on. I want to say, if you want to draw a comparison, Valorum to Clinton seems to make way more sense to me than Palpatine ever would. We had a little bit of fun with this during the primary season. Uh, we were talking with Riley Blanton, and Riley actually coined uh, uh, Jeb Valorum, please clap. Yes. And uh, so we we made made that into a little uh, a little shareable as well. I think that actually works very well. It's these experienced seasoned politicians who people just don't really appreciate that they know what they're actually doing. And politicians who, to some extent or another, and depending on your point of view, have lost touch with the voting public, who are befuddled at the fact that someone would call for the vote of no confidence for them or vote against them or just not feel inspired by them, period. All right, so next up is one of my personal favorites, and it's a line that I actually really, really like. I think it's one of the most meaningful quotes in the Star Wars saga, but it is something that gets trotted out when it's convenient for anyone to use it, and I think sometimes to the detriment of the quote. So this is how liberty dies, with thunderous applause. Um, I had a little bit of fun with this one. Uh, I think it was on voting day. Yeah, it was yeah, on. It was, it was election on election day, yeah. uh, at the expense of people on social media, just because everyone's using this line, and we're in the middle of a democratic election. Uh, you know, we are all out casting votes. We are all out there doing this thing, doing what we're supposed to do. Um, and I, I was a little bit bothered by the use of that because we don't have anything yet tangible to actually say that we are losing liberty. This is how it dies with thunderous applause. Um, so I made a tally counter and I was using a whiteboard all day at work to uh, to chalk up its uses on social media. What do you all think about this uh, this usage in the election uh, in the past couple of days that you've seen? Uh, for me, it's a it's a slippery one. Like I was also not too happy with that particular bumper sticker, uh, simply because, as you just pointed out, it seemed ridiculously premature. We don't know if liberty is dying, uh, and I don't hear anybody clapping anyway. Um, it seemed that the usage of it, um, and this sort of speaks to the universality of the uh, of the quote itself. Uh, the usage of it actually it immediately hopped sides up until 
the, the results started coming in, it seemed to be mm-hmm. that everyone uh, more center and then moving to the right uh-huh. was using it before the election started as a means to sort of suggest that their liberties were about to be trampled because the career right. politician was absolutely going to be installed because their candidate had messed up entirely too severely on their campaign with the way that they campaigned. And so they were just sort of like, this is the sour grapes. We're going to watch Liberty die. And we, we also assumed it was going to be a landslide. Into Washington, <laughs> and we botched it. Yeah. And of course, all those snotty, snobby liberals are going to absolutely <laughs> rub it in our faces as soon as she wins. And so that seemed to be how it was being use and that was sort of irritating me i was like you guys slow your roll hold on for a sec mm-hmm. right and then the results started coming in and it became apparent she wasn't going to win florida and it became apparent that michigan was not going to break her way and that all of her firewall states and the swing states were not actually going to be either of those things they were not going to swing or wall fires they were just going to go red uh and once that became apparent suddenly the meme just jumped over to the other side (laughs) and now people are posting it and it's still incorrect because even if you do believe that liberty is going to die uh by way of you know trump installing all the same sort of uh financial economic and uh governmental lobbyists and elites into his cabinet even if you believe that I'm not hearing thunderous applause from anybody. So it's even if Liberty is dying, it doesn't seem like anyone's super happy about what's going on. The people who are backing Trump don't seem to be entirely too happy about what's going on. And the people who are backing Clinton are obviously sort of despondent. I live in Portland. Um, The city was protesting (laughs) night one, protesting again night two. Mm. Night three, it became a riot. Night four, it became sort of a squelched riot. Um, For three straight nights here in my city, there have been police on the street in riot gear with flashbangs and tear gas, uh, kettling protesters and anarchists coming up from out of town to sort of jump on the protesters' backs for an an excuse to break things. That's my city. And I know that's happening in other cities Mm. as well. Mm. That doesn't sound like thunderous applause to me. Yeah, and I think what we have here going on in this election that I think is important to point out, uh, and I think you nail it, that there is no thunderous applause going on right now. And you also have deafening silence. I mean, liberty dies with deafening silence, folks. 126 million votes have already been counted. And I mean, it is less than what Mitt Romney got in 2012. It's fewer than what John McCain got in 2008. It's fewer than what Bush got in 2004. Um, In total, fewer than 26% of eligible Americans this year cast their ballots for this guy who will occupy the Oval Office. So I'm sorry, but like, there's no thunderous applause there. Yeah. It is it is people not getting involved and in like just ceding the battlefield to the people who do care. Exactly. You had so much, um, you know, decreased voter turnout than you did in 2012. The Clinton campaign was hoping for the Obama coalition. To some extent, they got that, but nowhere near what they needed to win. They got 7 million less votes than Obama did in 2012. As you alluded to earlier, Stephen, um, uh, Trump got le- less than fewer than two to three million votes than John McCain did, in, or, or sorry, uh, Mitt Romney did in 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, it, this is how our electoral college works. It's how our elections work. Te- you know, of, let's just state it, Hillary is winning the popular vote by around two million votes, but because we wanted to ensure proportional representation, because we wanted to ensure that every state had a voice in the electoral process, 
we now have these razor-thin margins in these, quote, swing states deciding the election outcome. And as you said, Stephen, it's deafening silence by people who were just so uninspired by this overall election who didn't like either candidate or were feeling more swayed towards another or were just so, quote, sick of Obama and his years. In a lot of ways, this is normal for American politics. I don't think it's been since 1988 that we've had the same three terms of a party in the White House. So, you know, it in some ways it didn't surprise me that, you know, because American politics is fickle. It goes back and forth all the time. So I sort of just accepted it like that at this point. Well, I think with preserving liberty and the idea of, I mean, what's going on in Revenge of the Sith is everybody rallying behind fear, anger, and an and unsurety of what to do and uniting behind a leader. Like really without question, you have a small, very marginalized protest group who they're not even protesting. I mean, Padme, Mon Mothma, um, Antilles, they're all doing this in secret because they are not able to actually speak out. I think when we circulate this line, it diminishes the importance of actual awareness of like when there is a danger of losing your liberty or, you know, like, or with other countries where this stuff actually does happen and you have some guy take over like in some form of like a junta and like you, you just lose everything overnight. I think we, we have to be very careful when we're talking about this stuff so that we get it right when it's most important. Well, and I think that's part of the, uh, the problem of, <laughs> I mean, to be fair, we've basically elected in Donald Trump, uh, the first social media president. A lot of people aren't really <laughs> the touching on section. that. They're talking about how <laughs> we elected the comment section. How, yeah. Yeah. They're talking about how Facebook sort of, uh, helped promote, uh, the atmosphere that allowed Trump to become president, but that sort of takes away the fact that Trump himself uh, essentially launched his campaign before he ever really launched his campaign from his couch via his thumbs yep. on Twitter. Like yep. we don't become aware of his political inclinations, his leanings, his thoughts, and we don't see the movements that spring from that if we don't see his tweets go scrolling up our social media stream. And because that's the medium in which we essentially elected uh, our 45th president, uh, we we don't really. Pay enough attention to the fact that for a lot of people, memes as a form of political discourse, um, I agree absolutely, Stephen, are damaging, uh, but uh, they are used because uh, disenfranchised people, disillusioned people mm. want to feel as if they have some sort of power over a situation that they otherwise are powerless against. And so if I can take this thing that strikes a chord in me emotionally for a few seconds and I can throw it onto Twitter, onto Facebook, and get a bunch of thumbs up and get some retweets and get some hearts. If I can do that, that makes me feel like I've actually made a difference with somebody, even though it's just a joke. That gives me an out as well. I can sort of step out on that ledge, say a thing to people, have it be embraced. I get to feel good about that. But if something comes back at me, I can get in like a really inconsequential fight, mute somebody, and feel better about the fact that, A, it wasn't that serious because it was just a joke, but B, people still liked it anyway, so that must mean something. And that sort of devaluing of the discourse is part of what brought us here. Um, And it also is devaluing in that the more you repeat something, even though you know it's a dumb joke, even though you have a really solid sense of the fact that it's thin and you know it's thin, that's why it appealed to you the more you repeat something, the more you just or sort of end up absorbing it and believing it 
anyway. So when you reduce the complexities of what's going on to this is how liberty dies, and that allows you to feel good about yourself for being the person in the right that all the other crazies in the world won't listen to, that's not good. <laughs> that's absolutely not good. Um, and repeating it and repeating it over and over just sort of normalizes the puddle deep reading of what is really going on. And it stops you from legitimately engaging and yeah. listening. And you have to actually be able to talk to somebody beyond the, the basics of uh, a JPEG with impact font on it. You have to be able to understand why those words are being slapped to that image and then shared. And you have to dig into the reasoning underneath that. And that's when the conversations will actually begin. I think what a lot of people are realizing right now is that social media often isn't – it can be. It absolutely can be. And I can provide examples of that uh, going forward. But it can be a means by which legitimate ideas are shared. But you have to have the patience and you have to have the confidence that whoever you're engaging with is going to reciprocate. Uh, on, on Twitter, you're not going to get that. You're very rarely ever going to get that. Um, and it's just, it's, it's a really complicated landscape to try and share ideas in. And a lot of people aren't interested in sharing ideas. They're interested in sort of scoring their quick hits and then retreating back to wherever they were. I love this conversation. This is so great. Um, I think, I think this is a, a great time actually with all of that, with the idea of sort of activism and engagement via social media, that is a click one and done effort. Um, and I don't mean that to be a tag on where we're about to go, but let's talk about rebellions are built on hope. Rebellions are built on hope. A rebellion built on hope. In the past couple of days since the election results have rolled in, what we have seen is a massive wave of folks in Star Wars fandom and otherwise um, changing over their their profile pictures across social media to Rebel Alliance insignias. And there's been a renewed focus on Rogue One and its tagline, A Rebellion Built on Hope, um, which I believe is the takeaway line for most of the posters from the movie. Um, It has been one of the best uh, received lines from a lot of the trailers that we've seen. It's personally like my favorite. It's great. Um, You know, you get that moment where uh, where uh, where Jen says that to the to the group of rebels, and they just kind of all have that collective she deep breath and smile. Groups. It's beautiful. Um, so this has come up again in the context of the election results, and I think it's coming largely, and I, I mean really exclusively, from folks on the left who feel really frightened and afraid, uh, frightened and afraid, Absolutely. same thing, are really afraid by the results and what they mean, and then what to do next. There was a really good piece um, written in CBR by Brett White, and it was. Just just sort of a progressive rallying cry for all the things that we have to recognize this election meant and what comes next. And really the idea that we can do this um, with a sense of optimism, and that is really the only way that we can go forward, I actually found to be really compelling and really just motivating. Um, But there was also a recognition that you have to acknowledge that the results were not good for a lot of people in the country, uh, folks of color, um, immigrants, Muslims, uh, folks yeah. you know, from out of the country. Um, what do we do next? And the idea was hope. I read this piece. I, you know, like so many other Americans, was depressed at the result. And it was truly moving. He was talking from his own experience of being a gay man in America and whether or not he could still be married to his husband or be with his boyfriend, Mm -hmm. one of the two. Um, He was talking about immigrant families, Muslims, other minorities who are now more than ever fearing for 
their personal safety. And the symbol you're referring to, Stephen, is the safety pin, which actually initially came from the UK after Brexit when there was a spike in hate crimes. And two of the Rogue One writers tweeted out a symbol of the Rebel Alliance logo with a safety pin through it. And this has been shared throughout the fandom community. And yes, it is mainly on the left, but it speaks to the general American populace, particularly minorities, LGBT people, uh, people of color, letting them know that you are safe. We are here for you. This man who has been elected to the highest office in the land has proposed policies and said things that really threaten your personal safety and uh, like overall capabilities to live in this country. And it is simply a measure to let them know. I don't see it as particularly to the left or particularly partisan. I personally see it as it shouldn't be. I see it as something saying we are here for you. We are going to get through this together and we are going to make sure that your liberties as citizens and as residents in this country are not infringed upon. We will find that way together somehow. I I found it very moving. And again, uh, Brett's piece was, as you said, Stephen, it was somber. It was acknowledging the fact that, hey, some of the progress we made in the past couple of years could very well go away or could be rescinded back. But... As he said, watching Rogue One now is more important than ever. If our heroes could topple an evil empire, then we can make it through anything, essentially. And I found that very moving. Rebellions are built on hope, always. Is the message that if our heroes could topple an evil empire, we can do this? Or is it that this is an evil empire? That, that I could not parse. I think it depends on your point of view, a certain point of view, as it were. Um, I... Because there are so many divisions in the country now on both the left and the right, I'm choosing to see it as, um, you know, if they could get through an evil empire, we can get through anything. Mm -hmm. I've accepted the results of the election. This is how our electoral system works. We have to accept that this man will be our president. And we have to also acknowledge and respect people's rights to protest, as they have been in the past couple of days. That's the beauty of democracy. That's the beauty of our country. And I just think, yeah, like you said, it's something more of an overall general message. Bobby, what are your thoughts? Um, it was something actually I was talking about with uh, Alan Voivod on the Star Wars 7x7 podcast. Um, I want to say uh, Thursday afternoon. Um, I was noticing, and I had noticed little bits of it on social media as I was scrolling through. Uh, people were going back to, to Star Wars, um, and people were going back to other entertainments because you honestly can't be plugged in to politics 24 7. 365 without literally frying your brain. You will start to lose contact uh, with with how people actually behave, with how they think, with how they feel. Um, And so you sort of have to give your head and your heart a bit of a break. There's nothing wrong with that to go seek out, um, you know, entertainments like Star Wars, which although they are inherently political, and I know you guys uh, had that long episode with uh, Michael O'Connor specifically about the way Star Wars was built on a political influence and then just sort of, you know, spread out. It's still very broad-based. It's still very inclusive. Uh, it still speaks yes. to a ton of people, regardless of what political alignment you are, right? So they, it would make sense for them to go back to Star Wars. So a lot of people on Thursday were sort of like, I'm going to I got to check out for a little bit. I'm going to go ahead and watch this new international trailer uh, for Rogue One. And what I think happened was 
a lot of people have been sort of looking at Rogue One up until this point solely in terms of how it fits into the fictional universe, how the characters are going to change our perception of other characters on a fictional level, right? And I think the international trailer starts playing. And personally, I think it's the best trailer that they've released, honestly. It's much more evocative than every other trailer that's come before it. I know some people are a little bit worried about the spoilery aspects, but I didn't find anything about it spoilery at all. And my personal view on that is that if Lucasfilm feels like putting it in a commercial, they obviously don't think it's much of a spoiler. So uh, I was watching it, and the music is rising, and the lines are coming off the uh, the the screen uh, stuff like uh, then we take the next chance and the next chance till we win or the chances are spent you know rebellions are built on hope these lines start coming out and I'm seeing these scrappy people who are coming together uh, in the face of insurmountable odds and oppressive fear and horror literally bearing down upon them Uh, and I realize contextually people are now starting to look at this film not as just how does it fit into Star Wars but how is it speaking to me in my real life and I started to see little bits of that popping up Uh, and that's part of the joy of art and escapism as well if you only interact with your art solely as escapism solely as a means to get away from your real life and you don't allow that art to also reflect back your real life to you and give you lessons and inspirations to take back into that real life so that you can move forward in the way that you want to be the way you want to feel if If you only look at your art through that escapist lens you're going to miss that sort of thing you're not going to let yourself be enriched in the ways that art can enrich you as a reflection of your own personal life and I think a lot of people went to that Star Wars trailer uh, looking for pure escapism and were sort of surprised at the welling up of emotions that they weren't they weren't expecting or even really prepared to deal with because they weren't looking at the film as a reflection of their own real life. And I think that's what that article, the very next morning, that article pops up before any of the protests had really become riots, before the safety pin thing had really started to get seriously adopted. Um, That article pops up and gives voice to it. And I think a lot of people are sort of looking around. And like you said, it's not necessarily a right-wing thing or a left-wing thing to sort of adopt a symbol to let people know that, look, if I see something bad happening to you, I am going to step in. I am going to stop harassment because harassment should not be assumed by anybody to be Uh, an exclusive part of one side's agenda. Like, you shouldn't see harassment and go, but is is it right-wing harassment or left-wing harassment? As an American, as a decent human being, you should be able to stand up, volunteer, and say, look, if I see that happening in front of me, I'm going to stand in front and stop it. And I think that's as... There's no way... If you are a, a, a decent human being, to not see that sentiment spelled out to you and agree with it, regardless of who it is you cast a vote for. I have to honestly believe most people who voted for Trump aren't flat out racist, of course aren't not. flat out sexist. They made a compromise, they made a deal to sort of set those ugly aspects of his character to the side in the hopes that the things they need address, their their joblessness, uh, their homelessness, uh, the sort of depreciation of their own value as Americans, they decided to set all his ugly filth aside in the hopes that the people he would have help him run the country would speak to those concerns. And those concerns do not stop anybody from being able to see wrong being done in front of them physically, mentally, abusively, and step in. And I think that's what this commercial is speaking to. Like, Mm -hmm. you can stop 
wrong. You can be hopeful. You can reach out and have conversations and start to understand as opposed to just pushing people away and, and pouting off in a corner because someone didn't like the tweet that you made. You can actually <laughs> reach out and build coalitions from different areas and for, with different people knowing that there is at least some common ground underneath your feet and that common ground basically ties in with the idea that you are a hopeful person, you are a good person, and you want other people to feel good about themselves and succeed the way you have succeeded. I think one thing we can take from all of this, this campaign season, what we've been seeing the past couple of days, is that the internet doesn't represent real life. It's a tool. (laughs) It's something we use to communicate with each other, and it is often uh, a place where we see the most horrible content or sometimes the best content. But Mm -hmm. what really matters is how we engage with each other in person, um, how we see our citizens being treated uh, in the streets and malls, wherever in public, and how we act in response to it, how we stand up for the values that really make America great, inclusion, tolerance, diversity, acceptance of where we all come from and where we're all going together as a country. You know, Hillary lost, but her campaign slogan, Stronger Together, I think now matters more than ever. And Bobby, I just want to go back talking about using art as not just escapism, but also as a means to conceptualize and understand your own world and your place in it. That has been Star Wars for me since day one. Luke, Leia, Han, Chewie, R2, 3PO, and the rest of the Rebel Alliance, seeing them always get up and take up arms for the fight in the sight of insurmountable odds has always been inspiring to me since I was nine years old and I saw A New Hope. Seeing Leia after her planet, her entire planet, destroyed and still carry on with such a steely but determined and still compassionate demeanor that was always inspiring to me. Seeing Luke after finding out his father was basically Space Hitler was inspiring to me. Seeing Han after all the horrible things he went through in Empire and in between was such a heartfelt sense of optimism. And that's the same thing we're going to be getting with Rogue One, I think. One of the responses that I really, I enjoyed on, um, it was one of the Facebook, you know, Star Wars groups or whatever, um, was a a counterquote to a lot of what's being discussed right now, which is that this war represents a failure to listen. There was a pretty good spiel about that. I resonated with that a little bit. And we just talked about that as internet is not reality. And we have all heard and read a whole lot of great uh, journalism in the past couple of weeks and months on how we are in bubbles. We are in some serious, serious bubbles. And it is is wrecking the fabric of our relationships, um, our ability to communicate with one another on an effective basis. And then when this stuff happens, I mean, again, what happened with, with Donald Trump's surprise win was a whole lot of polling malfunction with people not wanting to say what they really think and not telling truth to pollsters. And so then we're surprised when this stuff happens. And especially, I think a lot of people who I was talking to online were really surprised by this result. Um, This war represents a failure to listen speaks to me in the same way um, that the separatists and and the republic, they are fighting for a lot of the same things, but they just don't know one another. Um, And they touched on this in the Clone Wars with heroes on both sides. um, When, you know, Ahsoka actually met a real separatist, they were like, 
wow, I really like you. And she ended up actually getting a crush on the guy at some point. But, you know, like they don't they don't know one another and they just hear about one another through filtered media. I I just I want I don't know how I don't know how, but I just want to personally do a better job of reaching out and trying to establish new relationships and pop those bubbles. I don't know what is next for this podcast or what's next for me, but I know that that's part of my goal in the next year is to continue to fight that problem. Well, and I I want to say uh, as a personal example, because I mentioned it earlier, um, the way that people sort of go to pop culture, uh, go to their art, um, you know, make their bumper stickers and throw them on on Twitter as a a means to sort of wrestle down this big out of control thing that they feel powerless against into something that they feel they can manipulate. Uh, I was doing that a fair amount uh, this weekend, and I only just realized, like before I drifted to sleep this morning, that that I was doing it. That I was sort of laser focusing all this this weird, vague, uh, ill feeling that I've had, this sort of powerlessness feeling, and trying to find a means in which I can uh, affect change, even the littlest change. Um, and I, I've been spending a fair amount of time on a, uh, a Facebook group dedicated to Star Wars podcasts. Um, and it started as a Facebook group dedicated to a, a single Star Wars podcast that was, you know, obviously a little bit more right-leaning, but it's still been very popular. And it instituted a rule that basically it flat out said, look, nobody nobody talk about politics ever. And it was such a, a solid rule, a locked-in rule, that it became fairly obvious that a lot of people interacting in that group and in that audience had stopped realizing or had maybe even never realized because this was the only way Star Wars was presented to them, uh, that Star Wars was inherently political, that there were political aspects to it. And so an entire avenue of, of influence and reflection and analysis had been completely closed off to them. So as soon as someone would try to present it, it got immediately rejected. And it seems like that would be a good way to make sure people get along, that acceptance is raised. But the, the big problem there and the big disconnect that I was finding was that how, how accepting is it uh, if, if the basis of your acceptance depends on incommunication, no communication? Like, how can you actually build and grow and understand if you are too scared to even broach the conversation with somebody else? And I can understand why people would be scared, why they wouldn't be trusting, because not only have we been told that the instant result to even broaching those subjects uh, is going to be a knockdown, drag out, throat ripping fight. But because we ourselves voluntarily practice that, that, that activity, we will back away. We will make our point and then run as soon as things start to get uncomfortable. And so me trying to sort of wrestle with how this was making me feel um, and, and what it is that I could do, even in a small way, I started poking bubbles. I basically wore a suit of olive branch and specifically <laughs> sought out people poking who were the olive not branch. Only, yeah, who, who not only uh, were, were retreating to their bubbles, um, uh, but uh, were actively pushing against the possibility of those subjects being broached. And what I was trying to do is sort of what you were speaking <clears throat> to, Stephen, which is just letting them say what they want to say and then telling them that you heard it. Yeah. Like you still might disagree with it. Yeah. You still might not be coming uh, from the same angle with it. But I think a ton of people are so nervous and so bound up and so angry simply because they just generally assume that even entering into that is going to result in them getting scratched up, beaten up, and thrown to the curb. That you simply telling them, I heard you, 
and I understand. I am not just waiting for you to say something wrong so I can jump on your neck yeah, with both feet. Yeah. I am actually actively listening to your point of view. People hearing that, the sense of reassurance, the sense of centering that that they that they uh, feel is cathartic, and I that's what I was doing yesterday and it might not be the most helpful thing it's absolutely nowhere near as helpful as say donating to a charity organization or actually getting out in the street and putting a sign up like a whole bunch of people were doing in new york in los angeles in oakland in cities all across the country like there are more productive ways and honestly i maybe should feel bad that the most productive thing i was doing was hanging out in a star wars uh discussion group and trying to change minds one at a time with every single person who was entering angry at the mere presence of politics in their discussion board. All of that articulates so much better what I what I could have possibly say about this. I mean, one thing that I experience on my personal social media, and, and you get, I get a lot of feedback about this, not to toot my own horn, but like that my Facebook threads are not like this battle zone where it's going to be like a knockdown drag out where, you, right. where you're looking for a chance to deliver a killing blow. You can disarm and surprise people in by simply asking a follow-up question. Right. You let someone put out their point of view and you say exactly what you said. Like, I hear, I hear you. Um, that's interesting. And then go from there to, I have a follow-up question right. and like actually like get them to spell that out a little bit and never like go on that, that, that attack thing that people experience. And you can find that the wall breaks down right. and it may not be this chat thread, but it might be the next chat thread that it's a positive uh, conversation in a relationship that is actually going in a positive direction. Yeah, mine so much specifically in the Star Wars group that I was talking with um, is that we already know in those sorts of situations, we absolutely 100 percent know that there is at least some common ground for us to stand on. Right. And a lot of political discussions on the Internet, you don't know that you are lost at sea. Yeah. You are a floating, bobbing buoy with no islands anywhere around you. But in a Star Wars group, in a series of films that are inherently political and have always had that element built into them, you have at least there, there are bumpers on the side of this bowling alley like, you know. If things start to break down, you can call time out, retreat back to your corners, and look down at your feet and see that there are places in which you are both still standing on the same level. And once you realize that, you can then start walking back out towards each other. It's just a matter of having the confidence in knowing that people there aren't looking to just completely tear you up. The confidence in your own opinions and the confidence in yourself to know that there are plenty of things you still need to learn about and the only way you are going to learn about them, even if you do end up disagreeing with them down the line, but the only way you're going to learn about them is if you honestly put forth the effort to hear what someone else is saying. And a lot of our discourse is not built for that. It's built for being seen. It's built for talking. Um, I've had a, a pinned post on my Twitter for the longest time, and I don't actually have it memorized. That's sort of why I pinned it, so I don't have to think about it again because my memory is crap. <laughs> but the, the gist is essentially something along the lines of the internet is a uh, communication tool used by hundreds of millions of people, uh, most of which obviously hate reading. Uh, and, then, and that's sort of how we, that's how we're built to talk to each other. Uh, we're getting knowing what it is you want to talk about gets in the way of you talking about it. Like calling first is more important than having the conversation. 
You need to be seen. You need to signify. You need to show people if they're just scrolling through. The same sort of rules that apply to clickbait journalism, that apply to movie marketing, also apply to you and your thoughts. And you are the one that is in charge of whether or not those conversations and those interactions are devalued. You don't have to let them be. You have to put in more work. Absolutely. There's no way around you and I and anyone else listening to the show having to put in more work, having to be more patient, having to be more understanding, as frustrating and as time-consuming as that can be. And I've spent a lot of time, consumed a ton of time, talking to people on that group, uh, talking to people on the internet, talking to people via the newspaper that I write for. And I have to work on that. I continue to have to work on it. I may feel every now and again that I did a pretty good job, but I'm not doing the best job I can, and I know that. And I have to keep moving forward with the determination of knowing that the only way we as a country are going to come together and be great again is not by uh, enforcing our will, not by coming to a split decision, or not a split decision, but like a quick decision uh, that's not very well thought out and just standing behind it uh, with our arms folded. The only way forward is if we actually begin to start listening to each other again and not being uh, so uh, antagonistic uh, and not being so defensive. That's the thing that sort of weirds me out um, about not just that group, but sort of discussions about politics and Star Wars, and it's sort of what makes me so happy you guys are around Aww, and thanks. not quite forcing the discussion, but making it much more uh, available and much more normalized to think about the things that you're putting into your uh, your head and into your heart. We really appreciate that, and I, we've just Thank really you, we've really valued your time today. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the real takeaway for everyone here is that we all need to be a little bit more like Padme, yeah, uh, and just try to find guys. ways to reach out to people. Because um, my life has always been happier since I uh, made a commitment to do that. All right. Well, we don't have much time left today, but we are going to take one quick listener email. So this email comes from uh, listener Kemper Shrout. He asks. What if President-elect Trump is actually Chancellor, uh, Supreme Chancellor Valorum? Who then is the senator-in-waiting from Naboo? So I think the translation of that question is, what if Trump is on his way to being deposed by an unassuming rival? Who would that be? My answer, I'm going to go with the unassuming, the most unassuming person, because he always says he's unassuming, Paul Ryan. He's the Speaker of the House. He was a vice president uh, candidate in 2012. He has a radically different view of what conservatism means from what Trump uh, has put forward. And he also is third in line. Um, And again, I think it just comes down to that attitude that he's always had, which is, I don't want this job, but I'll take it anyways. So if something (laughs) crazy were to happen with the Trump administration um, being as corrupt as it might be with people like Chris Christie and Steve O'Bannon in it, you never know what will happen. But but then we go to uh, Mike Pence. I'm, I'm, I'm choosing to indict the entire administration <laughs> in, a, in a possible meltdown. So I'm going with Paul Ryan to answer Kemper's question. Who wants to go next? I still need to think this out a lot. <laughs> and um, thankfully, I have four years to do that at, at the most or at least. We'll see as it goes along. Um, now, I will say I do predict 
potential, there's a strong possibility Trump will step aside and it'll be Mike Pence, but we'll see what goes on. But in four years, I think at this point, I would love to see someone like Kamala Harris run for office. Okay. I think she is a very capable, very naturally charismatic speaker. She connects with you in an instant. I was watching a speech of hers the other day. She said, this is a trying time for us, but we will rise again and keep fighting the good fights. Things along those lines. Essentially the same rhetoric Hillary was saying, but with something so palpable in her voice that just drew you to her Again, this goes back to what I was saying earlier. Hillary never had that sort of natural charisma that Trump or Bernie did, but Kamala definitely seems to. And especially as someone who's half Indian American and half African American, I think she serves as a great representation of the populace in America today. So, Bobby, let us know what you think. Um, I'm kind of going to break Kemper's question a little bit. Uh, <laughs> hi, Kemper. How are you doing? Uh, I've seen him around the internet quite a few times. Uh, he's, a, he's a very involved uh, and very active listener to multiple podcasts, and uh, it's great to have Kemper in the community making sure uh, people are doing uh, you know, more than just ingesting Star Wars on a purely superficial level. He does sort of poke and prod at Kemper! <laughs> Congratulations, Kemper, for your question. I think, um, to answer your question, this is why I'm kind of going to break it, uh, is that uh, in this case, Trump's already built in his usurpers. Like, that was sort of the whole point. Uh, you guys have both sort of touched on the fact that Pence is probably going to end up running the country, and I that was essentially what Trump was looking for. Right. Uh, one of the interviews that uh, John Kasich gave, or I think yeah. it was his son, actually, uh, was speaking about when Trump was going around and trying to figure out who he was going to get for his vice president. And it was almost Chris Christie. Yeah, um, where going It would have been Chris Christie yeah. if not for the fact that Chris Christie actually went after uh, Trump's son-in-law uh, legally for something or other. And uh, Trump's son-in-law, yeah. uh, who was married to Ivanka, was like, no, 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 he can't be your vice president because we obviously will not get along. And so oh that's, why, that's why Chris Christie got dumped. And yeah. we ended up with Mike Pence, who was also a lot more uh, solidly, uh, mean-spiritedly right-wing than a lot of people in Congress. But the the way Trump has sort of built his cabinet out is that he's going to do his Trump thing, because he has never in the history of his life um, really run any of his business, which is probably why most yeah. of his businesses ended yeah. up uh, failing, <clears throat> underperforming, uh, going bankrupt, uh, is yeah. because he doesn't have the, the attention span. Uh, or the knowledge or the uh, will to actually put in the work to gain either the attention span or the knowledge to successfully run these things. So he's building his cabinet with the knowledge that he is going to be out front. He is going to be the gold-plated name mm. on the front of the White House, and he is putting Mike Pence in charge. Mike Pence is more or less going to be our president. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, way, pa I mean, way, way past the, uh, the the way that we've come to think of how Dick Cheney was our president during the Bush years. Like right. Bush still had some control, and there was push and pull between those two. Trump tapped Pence specifically for the use of, of his uh, domestic and foreign policy ideas. Basically, mm -hmm. Trump is going to rubber stamp whatever Pence comes up with. And I think Ryan is also going to essentially enter into prig uh, quid pro quos with Trump. Um, there was a piece I wrote a while ago uh, that essentially laid out how I think the first two years are going to go before seats start getting flipped and people like Kamala Harris start gaining uh, power and influence uh, in the Congress. And essentially what I see happening is that 
Trump is going to do a lot of the stuff that he said he was going to do on the campaign trail. He's absolutely going to try and do some of it if it's feasible. Uh, and he's going to rely on the, the Senate, Congress, and the judiciary uh, to enable him to do that. He's going to test the bounds of his power. Uh, and they are going to let him do certain things in exchange for his signature on bills that they want to pass. And I think that's where you get Ryan involved. Ryan's basically – Ryan's whole M.O. for like the last year and a half has been – I can get him to do things I want to do, and I will essentially use our constituents, not as constituents. They'll cease being constituents. They'll mm -hmm. be currency. They're going to spend us in Congress. Trump is going to say, I want this, this, and this to be done so I can go after this, this, and this people. And they will say, we'll let you do that so long as you agree to sign this, this, and this thing. It's going to be right. business deals. Congress is going to be business deals. Government is going to be business deals for the next two years. That's what's going to go on. And Pence is going to run domestic and foreign policy. And Ryan is going to try and get new laws passed more accurately reflect the vision of America that he wants. And Trump is simply there to be the figurehead and sort of make sure that all these deals go through so that both sides of the Republican Party are happy. That's what I think right. is going to happen. And that's sort of why I think it's going to break uh, uh, Kemper's question there, because I don't think we're going to see someone uh, quietly, privately rise up and knock uh, Valorum over, because Valorum, this Valorum that we're dealing with, rose to power specifically to not actually use it, but to yeah. cede it to other people so that he can look good while his term is running. Right. So, Kemper, I hope that is a full answer to your question. It was a good one. It's uh, it's tough just given the different structures of our government versus theirs. Um, but there are definitely people in the in the wings waiting in case something goes wrong, which I think uh, speaks to that a little bit. And I think we covered all the bases of the question. Yes, we sure did. So that brings us to our Bantha Fodder segment. This is how we end the show. Um, in this segment, we share uninterrupted, something that is on our mind. It's kind of our fodder, if you will. Uh, it can be relevant to the show, politics, Star Wars, music, cat videos, like whatever. It's just on your mind. So everyone, um, I'll go. Oh, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun. Um, all right. So how do I start this? So like basically as we go forward with the American story and we think about lines in Rogue One, I think the one that, that, that had come to my mind earlier this morning was, you know, it's, it's, you are rebels, aren't you? Um, and, and a lot of the conversation we've been having on social media about being a rebel in this time period, do you consider that simply voting might not be your only calling. Um, local races for elected office are profoundly uncompetitive. And I mean this when I say sometimes, like, all you have to do is show up to represent your community in a way that is positive than the other guy who might just show up and then represent your community. Um, you know, one, one, this, one thing that this election showed as a positive is that big money does not equal success, not in this current environment that we are operating in. Trump smashed Clinton's billion-dollar machine to pieces, and he did it uh, with the entire Republican field in the primary. Voters are not buying uh, the glitzy, message-tested ads that we all thought in political science classes that they were going to just inherently buy. 80-plus um, percent of Americans disapprove with Citizens United, and this this is a environment where if you are the guy who ain't got nothing but a couple of dollars in your pocket and like a, a sign and a Sharpie, you might be able to go out there and win and actually do something for people and serve as a vote in your local seat. So 
for all the talk in particularly democratic circles about corporatism and big dollar donors, like this election has offered a glimmer of hope for a lot of these people and for everybody that all you have to do is just show up. So, you know, $1,000 ad buys in a local city council race used to mean a lot. Uh, but now you can do the same sort of impact for $100 on Facebook with the targeted post there to reach people in your district. So, all that to say, next time you see some blowhard preparing to run for office in your community, consider for a moment the possibility that you might be called on to do more than just vote. Um, you could be the person destined to challenge that person and defeat that person in the battlefield of ideas. And we all need to uh, consider that. I know I am. Um, I'm 26, but I'm, uh, I'm putting something down on my, uh, on my noteboard that I'm going to do sometime in the next 10 years, at least try. Um, that's my fodder. Suara, what's going on with you? You said a lot of stuff that I feel the same. It's enshrined in the Constitution, our right to vote, our right to protest, our right to challenge authority. Whether or not you agree with the protesters in the past couple of days, it's their right. It's their right to hear, to have America hear about their frustration and anger and for us to acknowledge it and to work on it. The country is probably the most divided it has been in my lifetime as a man of 25. Um, for me personally, life goes on. I'm looking forward to starting this data science course tomorrow. I'm looking forward to starting work as a data analyst when I finish it. And I'm looking forward to what we can do politically to make sure our rights, our values, our liberties are protected and enshrined. This is the first time we've actually had to worry about that based on what Trump has said in his campaign. He's a black, but we have to remember that he's a black box. We don't know exactly what he's going to still try to put forth. As you said, Bobby, he will try to put out at least some of what he said forth through Congress, but we don't exactly know what that is. It's so convoluted and complex. And now is the time more than ever for us to come together, be united and trust that our institutions won't fail us in simply protecting our rights, our liberties, our freedoms. And we'll see as it goes through the next two to four years. Um, I'm really uncertain what's going to happen, but I still have faith in America. I'm a proud American. My parents came here from the Middle East, and I've had a great upbringing here. I'm a proud American citizen. Um, I have a wonderful community here. I myself feel protected, feel loved, feel um, like I'm under no particular threat, particularly as someone who doesn't have a religion. I can't necessarily say the same for my Muslim family and friends. But for me personally, I know that I'm safe, but I aim to be there for everyone I can be. And like I said, I still have faith in America. We will get through this. I rebel. Suara? Uh, for, for my part, um, I want to speak to, to what Suara just said about uh, coming together um, and some of the more easier ways to sort of make yourself open to that. Um, I'm not as heavy, heavily uh, politically involved um, as either of you two are, and I'm amazingly, uh, astoundingly appreciative that um, all this yang that all us olds have been talking about millennials uh, has absolutely been proven wrong. That's one of the few positive things I've taken away <clears throat> from this election, 
is that there are a whole bunch of olds out there uh, who've been talking yang about you young whippersnappers. <laughs> um, and I can look at the numbers and I can see that you young whippersnappers are putting in the work, are involved, are looking to actively make this place a better place. And you are showing up and you are doing the things that we didn't do when we were younger. We were we were like uh, extras in the cast of Reality Bites. Uh, we were uh, busy pouting and being disenfranchised because things weren't being handed to us on a plate. Um, we were sort of upset that our parents, our boomer parents and our boomer grandparents or whatever, however old we might be, um, olds span quite a bit of time. Uh, we weren't getting, uh, you know, the, the sort of things that we wanted. Um, and we were absolutely really willing to play the game. You guys are not only willing to play the game, but to change the game. And there's an openness to millennials that I think absolutely needs to uh, be cherished and needs to be celebrated. Uh, and in that spirit, I want to ask people um, to sort of measure the time that they are spending and get a good sense of the weight of the time that they are spending on whatever it is they're doing. Like, Obviously, we're spending a lot of time on Facebook. Obviously, we're spending a lot of time on Twitter. Maybe instead of taking the 14th or 15th pass through your wall and reading the 75, 85% uh, same stuff that you read the last half hour that you checked it, um, dial that down to like four or five. Make the conversations that you enter into a little bit more meaningful, a, mil a little more long form. Uh, don't just post a meme and then bounce out. Four or five times you check Facebook and all the other nine or ten times you would normally check Facebook, uh, go to a comfy chair in the corner and read something. Yeah. Read some literature. Um, when you go out to a movie, don't just engage with it on an escapist level. Try and figure out what it is it's saying to you and what reality it's reflecting back to you because art isn't created in a vacuum. Art is a reflection of the lives of the people making it and the lives of you in the audience watching it. It's absolutely a reflection. And uh, to that end, not don't just dive into Star Wars. Don't base everything in your life on Star Wars. You have to spread out. You have to watch. Like before I came on, I was upstairs watching a, a Netflix miniseries called The Crown. Now, it's not a documentary. It's not 100 percent educational, but it still is providing uh, insight into, you know, the, the royal family in the 40s and 50s. And it's also reflecting back in modern times the way that media can shape uh ruling parties it, the way it can shape entire countries are formed and i'm watching a mini series about politicians that have long since died in an era that none of us have any familiarity with outside of history books and i'm seeing how modern media shaped it and changed it mm. as and that reflects back on how i mean then it was television it was television and uh, the rapidity with which newspapers can sort of send news around the country faster than it had been before. Now it, it's memes, it's Twitter videos, um, and it's the fact that we are all plugged into the same journalistic river as journalists are, are pulling fish out of it. But it's still sort of having the same general effect. Um, this weekend you can go out and you can watch a movie called Arrival. Yeah. And it's a science fiction film that doesn't really have any basis uh, in anything that's happened historically here. But it absolutely speaks to this idea that we need to be able to communicate. We need to be able to think uh, you know, critically. We need to be able to uh, sort of consume more than just the surface and, and poke beneath things in order to achieve an understanding. And I think there are going to be a lot of people who leave Arrival 
feeling a little bit more hopeful, not because it's a political movie, but because it's a movie that suggests, uh, <laughs> in maybe the most thinnest way possible, but this is what it suggests, is that if you take the time and the effort to learn how to communicate with somebody, then you can solve almost any possible yes. problem. Right. You can figure out a way forward that is going to be advantageous to both of you. It may not be a solid 100% win. There's probably going to be a compromise here or there, but you are going to end up in a place that is better than the place you came from. And I think that sort of engagement with art is something that you can do in just a little way that will help make things better for everybody else on a larger scale. Wow. This, is, this has been awesome, guys. Um, just a real pleasure to talk about all this and sort of break down and purge a lot of the feelings and thoughts about the election as we now move forward. Um, this has been like just a, a real journey just on, on this podcast. It's been a real journey just to kind of go through the election season during this and kind of figure out what is next for us and what the tone of the show is going to be going forward. I know I, I kind of want to issue like a sorry, not sorry to everyone who's been listening. Like this has been light on Star Wars, heavy on politics. So like if you're still to this point, thank you so much for sticking around and listening to this because this is all really important stuff. And um, Star Wars is like the conversation starter for all of this. Um, so thank you so much for everyone who's been listening to the show. Um, again, Suara is going to be helping us um, kind of keep the ship afloat while we are uh, out at sea um, for the foreseeable future. And then we will uh, keep bringing you Star Wars and politics going forward. I really want to try to dive back into in the next couple of weeks um, the politics in Star Wars, you know, like how the how the Empire works, how the Grand Moffs work, governors work, etc. Um, but we have made it through election 2016. The uh, country's made it through election 2016 and onward. Um, onward. Force Ghost, Force Ghost, Bobby, uh, Bobby Roberts. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been real nice finally talking to you. Well, thank you, and uh, whenever you guys want to have me back on to uh, sort of aimlessly ramble in my <laughs> way, uh, I will absolutely, uh, you know, apparate in. I do the, every uh, week, and I just have to and, make um, myself we'll have, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every week I want to have you on, and I always have to restrain myself, so <laughs> find, find the right times. Um, but y'all, that's it for Beltway Banthas, and thanks so much for tuning in. We are out. 